Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, Managing Editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. And this is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. It's Thursday, August 11th. Non-fungible tokens, better known as NFTs, really burst onto the pop culture scene in 2021. But they've been around since at least 2014. Despite current market conditions, New tokens and collections are still being launched every day, including by luxury brands like Gucci and Prada. Tiffany's, the iconic retailer, even announced a jewelry partnership with CryptoPunks, one of the biggest and most popular collections. That partnership means that Tiffany is going to sell pendants based on those CryptoPunk NFTs for around $50,000 each. During July's Bloomberg Live Crypto Summit right here in New York City, I spoke with industry leaders about why they're confident that NFTs will continue to be perceived as valuable and as useful. Up next, my conversation with Avery Akineni, who's the president of Vayner3. NFTs are something that people can understand immediately. They understand a piece of art. They understand a digital collectible. Helen Hai, executive VP and head of charity at Binance. In my opinion, this is lowering the barrier for artists entering into the world. This is a technological renaissance and digital artist People Pleaser, sometimes known as Emily Yang. The wonderful use of blockchain technology can be um, utilized for much more. When we were first thinking about this panel, NFT prices were higher, (laughs) is, is what I would say. And I wanted to start by reading from the statements that the CEO of OpenSea put out when they had to let go 20% of their team. And there's one thing in here that I, that I want to pull out because I think it's very relevant to what we're all going to talk about, and it's this. During this winter, I expect we'll see an explosion in innovation and utility across NFTs. With the hard but important changes that we made today, we're in an even better position to capture what will soon become the largest market on the planet. Now is our time to build. Winter is our time to build. I highlighted the words, you know, innovation and utility, because I feel like there's a, certainly a perception, perhaps a misperception, depends on your perspective, that all NFTs are, are overvalued pictures of apes or things that celebrities will shill on their Instagrams and then deny later. What we're hoping to achieve with this panel is more of a discussion around the real potential possibility of what we like to say the underlying technology, but also actual use cases. Welcome to the stage, Vayner 3 President Avery Akineni, Binance Executive Vice President and Head of Charity Helen High, and Digital Artist People Pleaser with Bloomberg's Stacey Marie Ishmael. I want to start with you, Helen. One of the 
Perhaps stranger things to happen in the first couple of days after Russia invaded Ukraine was this outpouring of crypto philanthropy that ultimately resulted in several hundreds of millions of dollars being raised to support the the state of Ukraine, but also their soldiers and also their, their populace to the extent that Ukraine's digital minister was like talking about, hey, we're going to mint and sell our own NFT. And, you know, the charitable arm of finance was one of the entities that was very present in all of those conversations. Can you talk more about what actually crypto philanthropy is and not just in like the Sam Bankman-Fried way? Fantastic. Today, if you want to donate $100 to somebody, let's say in Ukraine or Africa, give me a number. How much do you think out of your $100 will be earned in the hand of the beneficiaries? Probably 90 of that. 25%. Okay, that's worth it. We're not even, even talking about <laughs> corruption. Right. So that's the reality. This is why technology actually adds values into this, because crypto fundamentally is transparency and is trackable. Four years ago, when we started Binance Charity, we were doing projects in Africa, doing lunches. Out of the $100 we donate, 93% of them turn into the food on children's plate. Mm-hmm. The other 7% are the local cost. So this is why technology can really bring real values into the society. One of the things we worked with the United Nations to offer is the refugee uh, crypto card, offer them a crypto ID, and then they actually re- they can receive cryptos from even $1, you know, everything so- around the world. I want to ask you about that because donating $5 in crypto can also cost you $5 in crypto, right? Like there are still significant fees and complexity for a lot of folks associated with these things. What has to change about the ecosystem in order to make what you're describing more of a reality? Infrastructure and education are the two most important uh, fundamentals. I think when we were doing the project, even in Africa today, we're talking about in the traditional world, we're talking about financial inclusions for generations. You know, even we're looking at what actually happened for the third industrial revolution, which is internet-based. The world didn't become a better place. 1% of the population is holding 90% of the global wealth. This is actually why blockchain is so popular, because people believe with the fourth industrial revolution, the, the financial system is going to change, get rid of a lot of the intermediaries. This is why blockchain is going to play a far more important role in the society to achieve the final free transfer of values. With crypto, everything is possible. Everything is possible, everything is not yet practical. And I want to talk to somebody who spent a lot of time in like the practical elements of this space. So people, please, uh, you've had an interesting career. Um, you, When we were talking in the green room, you said that one of the things you've really done is try to push the boundaries of crypto and art. And in your most recent project, Shibuya, you had a very interesting medium post where you're basically like, well, most of this is like speculation and none of it makes sense and it's not sustainable long term. However, here are the interesting things. What for you are those actually interesting things in an environment, perhaps less right now, but in an environment where there was so much kind of like speculative activity? Yeah, personally, you know, I've felt that the NFT space for the past um, year and a half at least has been more stagnant on just sort of, you know, speculative assets and focusing on, you know, floor prices and who's the next person who's going to buy um, this NFT and then the price goes up. But you know, the floor price that you're seeing is not actually what every asset is worth because once somebody sells, then the floor price goes down. So just because you have the asset doesn't mean that you, um, you know, have actually that much Ethereum in your wallet or value. And so this really got me thinking, you know, why have we created a culture where everyone is so obsessed with this floor price when we 
the wonderful use of blockchain technology can be um, utilized for much more. And part of the, um, so Shibuya is kind of like a decentralized Netflix slash Kickstarter. So just to platform. translate that in practice, <laughs> um, the example that you used in that post was you are creating a story. That story might have two arcs. Somebody could choose to back one arc versus another arc by making like decisions on a blockchain by saying, you know, I'm going to buy an NFT that's for door number one. Somebody else might buy an NFT for door number two, and then they can like fight it out creatively that way. Um, yeah. And so, you know, in this way, I think the community feels like not only are they financially supporting the creation of this IP, but also that they have a say in where the um, direction is going and um, makes it more sort of inclusive and collaborative. And this sort of goes back to last summer where I helped crowdfund the Ethereum documentary by selling a series of NFTs and then we raised over $2 million in 48 hours. And just like that, the documentary was funded. And if anybody has ever tried to fundraise in the film industry or anything, you would know that it's usually a multi-year long process. And similar to what Helen was saying, there's all this you know paperwork and bank wires and everything that's involved. And so this is a wonderful um, opportunity that crypto can open up for us. And this is something that I'm personally more interested in. And I definitely feel like more people will start to see this sort of value as we're headed towards a more bear market and people are focusing on things beyond just speculation. So one of the polls that we did on Twitter, we asked the question, what would have to change about NFTs to kind of like bring them back? And one of the things that people identified was security features, which is to say like not constantly getting hacked, not having, not, you know, having the verified Instagram accounts of Bored Ape be compromised and then people connect their wallets to it and lose all their NFTs or otherwise engage in phishing scams. And I raise that because everything that you all are describing is operating in like this almost like a, a countervailing wind of an environment where you're like, here's a really interesting idea for philanthropy. Here's a really interesting idea for creative fundraising. And then a bunch of people are there like, what if we made your lives really difficult? How are you and, you know, Avery, I'd love to get your kind of perspective on this. Like, what are the kinds of things that you are seeing that is countering those difficulties? Yeah, it's a great question. So about a year and a half ago, uh, we started at Vayner, um, led by Gary Vaynerchuk, we started to get really into the world of NFTs, both from a collector perspective, launching Gary's project, which is called VFriends, and then launching Vayner NFT, which is a company that I run and just rebranded to Vayner3. And the reason that we continue to be extremely optimistic and excited about this space is we believe that the consumer blockchain is going to revolutionize not just the next iteration of the internet, but the next iteration of consumer behavior. Um, we've talked about art, we've talked about uh, philanthropy being two sort of immediate use cases which have propelled the early wave of NFTs. I think gaming and sports and collectibles kind of is included in uh, some of the like examples of things that have already hit. But beyond that, there's a lot more that the NFTs can be. As, as humans, we spend a tremendous amount of our time um, on digital devices and digital screens. And that number is only going up, up, up. But people don't actually own things in their digital experiences. Um, maybe some of your kids play Roblox and you give them Robux for their birthdays or something like that. So that's an, or, or you're into gaming and skins. And um, those are examples where you can start to, to pay money for things digitally and for those digital experiences, but it's not interoperable. Like you have it, you have your Roblox within 
your existing, that ecosystem, you can't take it with you uh, to Meta. You can't take it with you to Fortnite. Those are all different experiences. And what we think is that NFTs are really the tip of the spear for the broader Web3 ecosystem. NFTs are something that people can understand immediately. They understand a piece of art. They understand a digital collectible. They understand the concepts of rarity. Um, and that then sort of opens up the broader ecosystem of metaverse and blockchain and crypto, which we think is going to be really fundamental in the next iteration of how consumers use the internet. With that said, in the last 18 months, it's been a lot about speculation and hype and you know flipping and trading, and there's been a ton of activity in that space that's cooled off tremendously in the past couple of weeks. We actually think that's healthy for the space to sort of take out some of that over-financialization that scares away mainstream consumers, um, makes them think that crypto is incredibly speculative and risky and they're going to get hacked. Um, because when you look at the broader ecosystem, even within NFTs, there are like, for example, Tezos um, and for example, what Dapper has built offer solutions that are not as risky as sort of Ethereum mainnet super expensive NFTs. That's what grabs the headlines, but the reality is that is going to be a tiny fraction of the total user base of how people interact with NFTs in the future. So, people pleaser, I want to get back to this idea of art because art markets are also prone to speculative frenzy of different kinds. How are you finding, both as an artist but somebody who's working on art funding, the differences between you know, the traditional fine art markets and this sort of Web3 ecosystem in which you're increasingly operating? I just think that, you know, in the past, maybe there has been some kind of stigma against digital art or people just don't see it as real art. And now, you know, I think there, there's sort of more acceptance to it because at the end of the day, art is subjective and it's all about just expressing yourself through different mediums, right? And so people with uh, digital art just do it on a computer versus um, in the traditional art market. In terms of the speculation um, parts, I think that's just always going to be part of something that is um, inherently subjective. It's very, very hard to, uh, you know. What makes an ape beautiful? Exactly. But um, what, I, what I personally find interesting, and this is just a personal passion of mine, is the concept of storytelling. And you can do that through digital art or, you know, traditional art. Stay tuned for more of our conversation about NFTs originally recorded in July during the Bloomberg Live Crypto Summit in New York. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. 
Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. If I'm an artist, I want to sell my art. I need to find an art gallery committing 50% of my next 10 years' earnings and then make sure they accept me and then there's a potential maybe I'm becoming to be known. So that's actually a very difficult journey. I mean, the probability of successful is also very, very small. But today with NFT, it's very different. For, for example, in Binance, when we build a centralized platform, we only charge 1% of the fee as a platform. Everybody, you can exhibit art. You know, in there, and actually, it's not Binance determining the price of your art. It's actually the market drives of uh, the art. So, in my opinion, this is lowering the barrier for artists entering into the world, and also it's going to benefit the people who appreciate art. This is a technological renaissance. I do find that, and Avery, I want to ask you this because, like, the history of Vayner is really about community, right? So like when Gary Vaynerchuk was like wine (laughs) and then he had a media agency and was doing community management, like whatever the sort of the platform through which he's he's expressing his various ideas, there's always been this idea of an ecosystem, a community, a sense of like solidarity for for a particular in-group. What about that are you seeing or is infusing as it were like Vayner 3? Because what I'm hearing from both Helen and People Pleaser is this idea of doing something or participating in something bigger than you, whatever the financial incentives might be. That's a very astute observation that community and has been critical to Vayner's journey over the last like 12 years of, of having the VaynerX company. Um, and I think that what you're also getting at is cultural relevance. It's like where people are actually paying attention is where we've structured a lot of our business opportunity. And certainly, like without a doubt, there's a community around sort of crypto traders, and there's obviously varying levels of savviness within there. There's also a community around NFT collectors, um, people who collect NFTs, of course, some for sort of trading and that hobbyist activity, some because they're passionate around certain groups of artists or certain groups of uh, you know intellectual property owners, whether we're talking about Nickelodeon or we're talking about MLB or we're talking about Gary Vee's V friends. There are communities around each of these programs. And what I think is different this time around versus what we saw in Web 2, which was the fostering of a community on social media and enabling people to communicate globally across the world with someone they may have never met, having a direct one-to-one communication with a brand or a celebrity that they like um, or an athlete. This time, when you participate in this NFT ecosystem, that you actually have aligned incentives. Back to uh, the example that Helen was just giving for that Latin American artist. If that Latin American artist had, um, you know, had a group of collectors, they would probably interact with them at different art shows, even if they were very successful. And you know, the first pieces would have sold for hundred, then a thousand, then ten thousand. But if that, you know, first Genesis piece that originally sold for hundred was selling for a million, mm-hmm. that Latin American artist doesn't benefit from that. Um, and. NFTs unlock this ability for collectors and creators to have aligned incentives. And of course, that strengthens the bonds of a community um, of people who are passionate around a specific subject or hobby. Um, tokenized hobbyism is going to be something that we increasingly <laughs> that see is very interesting. coming up like more and more, whether you're really into a game or you're really into an artist, a group of collectors having a forum to engage and 
all sort of being in the wave together of benefiting from appreciation or depreciation as the case may be. Um, I think that this is a really interesting use case for that community to actually have aligned financial uh, incentives in the future. What about NFTs? What about these conversations about the environment and the ecosystems like have to actually change in order to better address these pretty robust criticisms? Maybe I will start with two things, uh, regulation and education. We really think that actually the regulation is actually going to bring more successful fruitation for the whole industry. So actually in Binance, particularly since last year, we actively work with regulators around the globe trying to develop the right uh, regulation to ourselves. If we believe in the society, we need to bring the whole penetration rate, you know, going up. So that's very important. And education is very important. I think today there's so much formal. A lot of people lost money because of formal, <laughs> because people don't really understand the underlying sub substance. So it's very important, actually, to do the right education, particularly with the youth. I think those two things are very close to our heart. It is, honestly, I have to say, genuinely interesting that most of the folks on all of the panels today have been like, please regulate me more. Yeah. <laughs> it's not something you may have expected coming in today. All right, with that, thank you all. We really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. On the next episode of Bloomberg Crypto. The crypto universe can be complex, can be unpredictable, but our job as editors and reporters is to track every single one of these developments and translate the most interesting and important of them into stories. Bloomberg Crypto senior editors Dave Lutka and Anna Herrera will join me for another edition of Friday in the Editor's Room. We'll take a look at the highs and lows of this week in crypto, discuss the biggest stories that we're covering, and give you a peek at what's driving markets right now. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. Or find us on Twitter, we're at crypto. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergalina. Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producer is Sharon Barrero. Associate producer is Ty Butler. Desta Wonderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidrin. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael. We'll be back tomorrow. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.